and welcome to another episode of Otaku in Training. I'm your host, LB. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, CT. Good evening, everybody. And our trainees, Bama. Hello. And Bran. Hello. So, uh, for this month, CT and I decided that it was finally the appropriate time to introduce our trainees to Kyoto Animation. Uh, we actually did a podcast about them last month that never got published, but will soon, I promise. Um, but we, when we decided to introduce our trainees to Kyoto Animation, we knew that we wanted to choose the right series. And for one of the few times that CT and I really saw eye to eye, on this was agreeing that Violet Evergarden was that right series. Uh, so Violet Evergarden is arguably probably the most beautiful series that Kyoto Animation has ever done. You can argue about other series, sure, but for my money, I think that Violet Evergarden is the best-looking series that they've done. CT, uh, what made you feel that... I mentioned how you and I basically agreed on this, but what was your basic line of thinking on why now was the appropriate time to introduce our trainees to Violet? Oh, well, after the massively successful Record of Lodos War cast last month, which we totally haven't lost the recording of, uh, <laughs> I forget, we were, we were discussing uh, a few things. Our train of thought led down a few uh, paths, and I think we were focusing down somewhere different, and... Uh, one of the things that came to mind that we were looking at was kind of a, more of an urban fantasy, a little bit action, a little bit modern. And I brought up Beyond the Boundary, uh, which I quite like and is an easy pull-in. But then I simply asked you the question, uh, you know, should should that be their introduction to Kyoto Animation? And should we do that now? And you said, no, it shouldn't be that. And yes, we should. And at that point, uh, Violet definitely seemed like the the right introduction. Um, it's an interesting, you know, alt-historical uh, spin. It uh, It's delving into something that's, you know, more serious and dramatic and, and feelsy than we've covered before. Uh but it's not as straightforward as certain other ones. So it, it felt like it still had enough of a, a, a fantastical component to it. Uh, you don't have to go in knowing pretty much anything else. And of course, as uh, stated, if you want to blow some folks, uh, you know, eye noodles out with just quality of animation, it, it's pretty hard to, uh, uh, you know, hold anything else up against it, even from Kyoto Animation themselves. So uh, it certainly felt like the the right thing to come in with, even though it's one of, you know, the, the most, the very recent things. So we're not getting a, uh, 
we're not really trying to get a history or a, a tour through Kyoto Animation. This is uh, jumping in the deep end, as it were. So getting into the actual series, I want to go ahead and just kind of jump headfirst in, since we're diving into the deep end anyway. The very first note that I have for the first episode is about when uh, Violet first reveals her hands when she's in the hospital. That was the very first moment that really stood out to me and made me pay attention to this series when I first watched it. Uh, I want to start with you, Brandon. Uh, what was the first moment in that episode that stood out to you? I, I know you mentioned you didn't take as many notes this yeah. time around, but do you remember in that first episode what the first thing that stuck out to you was? You know, I can't say that I know what the first thing that stuck out to me was it might be just the letter flying out the window mm -hmm. um just the e even something so simple as that like the amount of effort that went into like detailing it flying out the window was really notable um though um i guess you know just the place setting of that whole scene is kind of doing some serious work to set up like what is coming and how you know how it's going to address like trauma and things like that um and it's kind of hard to not be sort of drawn in by that so bama uh moving over to you what was it about the first episode that really stuck out to you i mean i mentioned in my notes that violet showing her hands was mine did you have a particular moment in that first episode that stuck out to you i think mine was very similar to you with her showing her hands but with me it was closer to realizing she was in a hospital because at that point i thought she was a robot <laughs> she's very she's so um she just seemed kind of emotionally stilted and she's writing a letter that sounds more like a report and, and i honestly thought she was an android of some description and i was trying to figure out what she was doing in this old-timey hospital in, instead of say a mechanic's office so I was, I was very curious about that, and, and that absolutely uh, grabbed me and, and stuck out to me. I was trying to, to figure out what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, the first episode of this series, it's hard not to say that it, it's pretty loaded with everything that it throws at the audience, uh, including as I mentioned, uh, you know, her revealing her hands, her realizing that she's no longer a soldier, so she no longer has to salute. She doesn't know what to do with herself. And then the big one for me is towards the end of the episode when they introduced a primary theme of her seeking out what it means to say, I love you, or what it means to hear those words from another person. So, Brandon, let's jump over to you real fast. Uh, with that first episode, did, with it being as loaded as it was, did it have any, uh, how do I want to phrase this? 
I think what I'm trying to phrase it, it phrase it as is did this first episode make overwhelm you at all or did it feel how did it feel for that first episode when it was unloading so much? Uh, I, I think what I really felt was an intentional like prepping because the show, uh, the first episode, basically it's in a very like civilized non-war setting where people aren't fighting, the war is over and things are clearly going to move forward from this point. But the events that happened during, you know, that last battle were clearly so intrinsic to it that I kind of felt like it was saying, okay, this is the stuff you need to know. And we're going to go forward from here and we're going to process some stuff. Um, (laughs) And so I think it was really like, I, I think I was not ready to make any conclusions about, about what it was going for or what it was necessarily doing because I, I felt a very intentional hand trying to prep me almost with my knowledge, you know, that this is, uh, this is prep and then we're going to be off to the races from here. Right on. Uh, this is another one of those series that when it was released, uh, it developed a pretty good following online. Had you uh, heard about it at all before we recommended it to you? Or was this another series that you had seen or had not seen and just kind of passed by without any knowledge of it? Uh, I, at the When I first started watching it, I had no idea. Like, I, I actually, I didn't even read the description on Netflix before I hit play. <laughs> um, <laughs> so really, the only thing I had going in was the key art of, like, her sitting on the, like, rampart or whatever. Um, though in retrospect, I may have seen screenshots, well, maybe not even screenshots, like maybe like a picture of Violet with the parasol standing like in a field of flowers, like from behind is something that I may have seen, but that's, that's about it. But if that's what it was, I mean, I think it kind of calls out that I had no idea what it was and damn, was it beautiful enough to capture my attention, even though I wasn't really paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bella, how about you? Had you heard anything about this series before? Had you come across anything about it in your travels online? Nope, not a thing. And I'm pretty confident about that because I don't think that art is something I would have seen without investigating further. <laughs> It, it it's so gorgeous. I mean, it absolutely blew me away. <laughs> right on. Uh, so CT, we haven't heard from you in a little while. What were your? Uh, did you watch this weekly when it was first out, or did you binge it on Netflix after it came out? I watched it weekly for a bit but because i'm not even though netflix was pissing me off for delaying the show and they still keep doing that and they still keep pissing me off uh as much as i was really 
wanting to with this. I only watched a couple of them, and then I largely, uh, uh, due to not really pirating things in general and not feeling like keeping up, I just waited for it to uh, come out, because that also meant I could watch it with other people as well. So I largely waited for it rather than watching weekly, and I sent a, a few nasty tweets at Netflix during... <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like something you'd do. Mm-hmm. So, with that first episode and it unloading so much onto the audience, uh, it breezes pretty seamlessly into the second episode where she starts, uh, where she goes to the letter writing house and she gets a job there. I'm curious to know what everybody thought about when she was asking about the major at first since it was pretty obvious from everyone's reaction that the major was no longer with us uh uh no longer with the audience he was pretty much he was gone in one fashion or another uh but no one wanted to tell her i'm curious how did that hit everybody did anybody have any particular thoughts about that or thoughts how so because like i don't know i mean it's already like a complicated thing when you're because of her emotional immaturity you you pick up on their emotions and the fact that it they they're stressed out about it um especially when trying to consider her and how she might feel about finding this information out and trying to sort of protect her from the news in a way until she's at least ready to hear it. Um, it's kind of sad, you know, that I, I have to say that I appreciate the effort they go to both the characters and also, you know, the creators of the show to lay it out like that like it the show frequently will lead you to a conclusion before it confirms it sometimes several episodes later um so if you're paying attention you know like especially to people's emotions and reactions you understand subtleties in the emotion which is pretty hard to do in animation is show subtle emotion and it's clearly you know very crucial in this show to be able to do that um and i I have to say that i really appreciated the effort and detail they went to in that when i first saw i when we first watched it oh my my first reaction was that maybe he wasn't dead they just thought he was Mm -hmm. and they weren't telling her out of the possibility that maybe he was alive and the more episodes I watched, the, the less and less likely that seemed until I actually got a little irritated at all the characters <laughs> going, dude, somebody needs to tell her he's dead yeah. because she's, she's really, this is, this is getting into why didn't you tell me territory? But when they did tell her, I understood why it took them so long. And 
I was like, okay, these characters knew what they were doing better than I thought they did because, yeah, she absolutely could not have handled it in the first few episodes. You're absolutely right. But, yeah, I, I remember thinking that it was, you know, that there might have been some room for doubt and then deciding that there was not room for doubt and then getting mad and then understanding what was going on. <laughs> so yeah it was it was really well done this the the way that they dealt with that death and, and the grief inherent in it I, uh I brandon of, you wanted to jump in yeah i kind of i you know i felt bad for violet but i had a weird feeling about the major like it he was clearly painted to be kind in some fashion but I wasn't sure how kind because considering the sort of themes that they were touching on and the way certain people talk about Violet, I wasn't sure if he was always sort of kind to her or if that's like something that developed. And so for my own personal, from my own personal perspective, I was kind of holding back a little bit, I think, in order to be able to judge him harshly if it turned out that he was, you know, like his brother, who we find out later was basically just complete trash. Um, and <laughs> so I was kind of waiting to see if he turned out to be more like that or if he was a more caring person over that period of time than maybe they were necessarily portraying up front. Um, and I, I think maybe they, you know, kind of obscured whether or not he was for a while intentionally so the audience didn't know. But uh so the other thing that really stood out about these early episodes was when Violet got sent to training to learn how to write a letter. And I'm curious about people's theories about this because it was made pretty clear in episode two that uh violet wasn't sure how to interpret people's feelings to properly write a letter and yet she was given that opportunity you know before being sent to training and i'm kind of curious what everybody thinks of their theory on why she wasn't sent to training to begin with it was or if that was something that i just missed entirely Um, I, I think I kind of wonder, wondered if they thought it would be self-therapeutic for her, like if they just kind of put it in front of her and let her have at it, it would maybe resolve itself. Um, because I don't think that they were necessarily looking for her to be like a superstar, right? Like they had several people on staff who were not necessarily great, but they did a serviceable job and so i was kind of wondering if perhaps they were just trying to be like you know what here you go just ha this is the thing that you say you want and maybe just doing it will be beneficial to you um until it you know becomes perhaps more clear that a she needs more guidance in doing it and b she doesn't really have the sort of grammar necessary to achieve what she's trying to achieve she needs uh -huh. more proper understanding of the basics first 
I didn't even realize that there was a formal training. She just seemed so enthusiastic about doing it. And then she did such a terrible job. <laughs> I mean, it was a, a yeah. bang up, terrible job. Just, just textbook awful. And I remember being surprised more that they didn't read it over before reading it to the client and saying, okay, you know what? This was a good try, Violet. I'm going to take this one and then we'll talk. I was I was surprised that they, they let it get out because that was a little nuts. I, I forgot about that. Red silly thing. <laughs> but I... yeah, I... <clears throat> Yeah, I didn't even realize that they had a, a, a formal training school. The the entire world was was kind of fascinating in that regard. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I really enjoyed about this series, um, and CT, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well in a moment, but one thing that I really loved about it is how they built the world early on, down to the point of giving them their own language, their own written words. Uh, I love little details like that, and I love that this series spent the first, you know, two or three episodes really building the world and fleshing out, you know, this is the role that these people play. These is the, you know, this is the importance of letters and mail in this world. Uh, so yeah, so that was something that I really appreciated about this show and CT, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Uh, I'll swing around to that in a moment. Cause it wraps back to your, first question for me but before we leave uh what we were just talking about um i didn't actually interpret the events in the way of they let violet do something we, we got her single letter that kind of stuck up woman the one the one to whom she fails entirely but the way that i interpreted it was that woman was basically her personality was overpowering Erica. Erica at the same time didn't think that, uh, you know, Violet was right for this job. So when Violet offered to do it and Violet, of course, just treated it as, okay, this, this is my job. These are in effect my orders. I must perform this task for, uh, for this client when Violet took it over, it seemed like it was basically Erica was letting her for the purpose of watching her fail. And because Erica would have normally been the one in charge of that, they weren't, you know, no one was previewing anything. It, it felt to me like it was slipping through the cracks once and caused the incident, but that it was kind of instigated by Erica. And she was, you know, suitably uh, embarrassed by that afterward. But I feel like that was her trying to prove a point and regretting it by the end. That's it didn't feel like they were having Violet do anything other than, you know, ghost and try to learn. And she took that task herself uh, before going to class. I, I don't think they would have let her be a... Uh, on the clock doll at that point. But uh, that's that's the way it came across to me, at least. 
But uh, going back to the worldscape of which this uh, training class is a part, uh, in the beginning when you had asked what, you know, really drew you in, uh, we'd mentioned in in prior podcasts and certainly on the uh, Kyoto Animation one where we talk about Violet somewhat, this was one of those that had the promo video that was just amazingly striking. And in that, you know, we learn the basics about Violet. So the fact that she has these gleaming metal prostheses were uh, very much uh, pushed in the promo video. So that kind of thing didn't didn't draw me in. Uh, specifically, we land with her, we land with uh, uh, Hodgins in the hospital, but of course we're just starting, we're really just starting to learn about the characters and that's kind of the sponge end of uh soaking up what the story is is trying to dive into but i think what really pulled me in was when in episode one they basically made it to uh leiden at the end so you got the sprawling port city uh and the moving through it and it felt very much like a uh kind of in the in the way that uh something like Kiki's delivery service delivers an environment very, you know, lived in and interesting and something that you're preparing to explore that really uh, led me into the kind of world that they will inhabit and, and the ways that we're going to see it specifically. Uh, Violet does hop around quite a bit, which in a way is just showing us that there's much more to the world than just Leiden, that Leiden was a great grounding point and something to move back to, being able to uh, get to the bell tower later and, uh, you know, realize just, you know, the shop fronts and everything else. All of the characters are kind of tied together in a way that you don't often get a lot of uh, because it's part of a cityscape rather than the here's where I live and here's where all the characters hang out nine to five. And so you get to you get to know their office building, you get to know their school, but you don't really get to know too much about their town. Uh, it ends up being a lot more generic. But, uh, but here, especially because I'm busy trying to see, okay, how... How much reality is in here? How much steampunk is in here? Uh, I think the most compelling thing about her prosthesis is, well, you know, the, <laughs> these things are magical uh, <laughs> in performance by what we can do in our modern world at this point. And... Uh, and yet it feels like, uh, you know, a, a gnome tinkering, ratcheting ordeal. But I'm like, damn, these are these are interesting. What what else will this world have that kind of compares to this? And it's a I'm not sure if it's disappointing or not that it doesn't really go too far in, in any of that direction. The rest of it is kind of your, you know, alternate. World War One, World War Two, European kind of uh, of locale mix, but uh, where only her particular hands, being the main character of the 
show name for her get to be this uh, focal point because of course that's that's her damage that's the memory of the war and that's also you know what leads her through her future and becoming a, a uh, auto memory doll uh, uh, learning to tap into everything so her arms and the uh, mechanics involved are are effectively the uh, you know the the sole pseudo magical element that's uh, tying the whole show together so we've gone through the first three episodes or so the thing is with this show however is that while it's not technically a slice of life because it does have an overarching story that ties it all together it's still very episodic in nature so at this point what i actually want to do is this time i'm going to call on bama first uh i'm curious to know as you were watching this were there any episodes in particular that really stood out to you as being you know excellent above the others in terms of story obviously overall animation quality in this series stays pretty high throughout so you don't have to you know mention (laughs) animation quality but were there any like little stories that got told from episode to episode that really stood out to you as particularly excellent or memorable i'm probably always going to remember the little girl and her mom is writing her letters because she knows she's dying yeah that That episode gets brought up a lot in conversation but yeah definitely continue I'm, i'm legitimately not surprised um at one point i remember thinking that these auto memory dolls aren't writers exactly they're a cross between writers and therapists because as much as anything else, they're helping people deal with their own emotions. And that's, that's almost specifically mentioned, you know, you have to see the emotion behind the client's words. I'm like that, that sounds more like psychology than, <laughs> than writing, but it makes good sense. And, um, I remember Andy saying that uh, the service that the dolls are providing is actually a really, really good one. And and she kind of wished that we had um, a similar uh, type of thing in our world. That having been said, and to answer your, um, to not exactly answer your question, but to kind of answer it, at the end of episode nine, where the um the uh, her little boss fellow i can't remember his name he oh, says geez. it's true that you can't change any of the lives you've taken and you can't do anything about all the evil that you've done but you've done so much good and that can't be erased either and i turned to andy and i said that's it roll credits perfect anime <laughs> yeah it was very, very much like the first 20 minutes of Up. The, 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 the balloons fill, and the house starts to rise through the city, and roll credits, perfect movie. The rest of the movie's good, too, and the rest of the series was good, too. But, but that right there, they could have ended it, and it would have been 
it would have been perfect. Uh, CT, you want to interject? I wanted to, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure if it would come up early. I was waiting for us to roll around to, you know, the the back nine. Uh, but episode nine, I found a lot, a lot of people found it, is sort of the, why wasn't the show ending here? Because that the, the entire format, all of this stuff, it it fooled uh, people who were watching into thinking there was no more of the show. And I'm like, no, it goes to 13. <laughs> but it was so I guess part of it was should. I think this is interesting. Does does it feel like this should have been kind of the way that it wraps up instead I don't know what liberty the anime order took on the order of things from the novels. It would be interesting to see. I know that most of the time anime will uh, uh, move things around to fit how they want to convey or how they want to even just produce uh, something a little better. Uh, but the, the, this did feel like a, you know, it was very much an end of the show. So uh, I, I was sort of curious when we got to this point to see, you know, did, did anyone else think that this is how the anime should have ended as opposed to where it eventually would? Uh, I do. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I think we'll probably maybe talk about the, latter episodes later but like i even just watching it like it did kind of come to like i was like oh this wraps up some stuff but doesn't wrap up everything and because it is kind of a little bit slice of life it, it you can see what violet's direction is going forward and so it's kind of perfect to leave a little bit left on the table that you don't have answers to because that's just not how life is. And so, yeah, you know what? This is like, I was kind of like, oh yeah, you know, this, this, I was almost surprised because I knew there were, you know, four more, epi three more episodes, whatever left. And I'm sitting there watching it and kind of going like, but there's more to go. It feels, <laughs> it feels like they're wrapping this up. And the more it felt like it, the more I felt surprised. I was like, what's going on here? They were, like, they were showing the credits over a different ED. Like, it's yeah. literally pulling out all of the, this is the end of your show trick. It, it Even to an extent, like, the, the latter episodes don't feel like of a piece with the rest of the show. Like, it feels like when you would watch a show and then there would be the movie that came afterwards that seems to sort of, like, miss the point of the show you know and it was like well but like what was this thing about and let's have some more action and whatever and you're like but the point was about not having all that action that was kind of part of the point of what made the show good so why are you doing this so it, it almost feels like they took the movie that they would have made afterwards that was kind of detached from everything because somebody thought it'd be cool to make like a spin-off movie that was a little bit about this and just shoved it into the show at the end you know um though uh to wrap back around real quick um the i don't know that i'll forget like any of those episodes i i loved 
like episodes four through eight or whatever it was just the little stories like iris is maybe the most forgettable but like the rest of those episodes were all fantastic um i think that the one that bama mentioned um with the little girl was fantastic and almost feels out of place because it's kind of if i remember correctly kind of comes after that natural end sort of yeah it's Um, the very next episode and it feels like it should have maybe just shunted it forward like two episodes to fit it in with the rest um i also really liked the one with the writer um i thought that one was really sweet and charming and it's also the episode where i realized who the voice actress was for for violet uh is um on from persona and i was like oh i recognize that yell okay i i had been watching like five six episodes of this and i had no idea it was her so mad props to her Um, (laughs) but i think that's probably my favorite um but I, i kind of loved all of those that that like chunk of episodes just just probably one of my favorite runs of episodes in like anything i'm curious about what you guys thought uh actually okay before we do that bama you want to interject i did thank you i i just wanted to say that i even though you could have ended it at episode nine and it would have been the perfect anime series I was not at all upset about them adding more on later, but that might have been because at this point I was salivating at the screen, stroking it gently, chanting more, Hmm. more. (laughs) I I, I mean, you have to understand, I am not a binger. The most anime I'd ever seen in a chunk was the three-episode chunk of Madoka Magica. Uh, When I watched um, Evangelion, I watched it in one-hour chunks, and that was it. I I really prefer to, you know, take my media in in, in small little chunks over time, with the exception of Violet Evergarden. I watched this in two sittings. It was like a book I couldn't put down. Mm. Interestingly, then because we, we weren't going to cover anything but the TV series, but did you then move on and watch the uh, OVA or the uh, first movie that's also on Netflix? I saw the second... I, I saw the additional episode. Uh, I actually watched it by accident. <laughs> it fit in beautifully. Uh, we, uh, we said, okay, so now what's the next episode? Why is it there another episode? Oh, we just watched the additional episode by accident. It fits in absolutely perfectly as episode 10. Just, you know, if anybody's counting. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I that have one not is chronologically between four and five. I have not seen the movie yet. I, uh... but, but I take it that you will. Oh, yeah, definitely. The only reason I haven't watched the movie yet is uh, my sweetie Jimmy is unemployed at the moment, and I don't. It was it was interesting enough to try to wiggle enough time to watch the series. <laughs> I will probably I, I I may 
wind up tying him up and, and forcing him to watch the movie because I, I desperately need to see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I might be nice. We'll find out. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious, every so often this series does attempt to be funny. And mm -hmm. in my opinion, it does a fairly good job with it. One particular instance that I found this series to be, I don't mean like laugh out loud uproariously funny, but funny in that really charming kind of way, was early on in the series when Violet and another doll help the, royal, the members of royalty write letters to each other. Uh, I really enjoyed that episode. I found it to be super charming. It basically felt like their equivalent of two royal members having a having a lover's tryst over Twitter in that time. <laughs> That's what it basically <laughs> felt like to me. I kind of got vibes of like, you've got mail. <laughs> Where everybody was like so <clears throat> invested in what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, uh, Brandon, let's go ahead, let's start with you this time. Uh, how did you feel about, like, the tonal changes throughout the series on every so, you know, it would be funny or, or charmingly funny at one point. It would be a little more serious with the playwright. It would be heartbreaking with the little girl and her mother. How did you feel about the different changes of tone from episode to episode? Uh, it felt appropriate. Um, again, partly because of like that sort of slice of life feel. She's moving through people's lives. And so there are parts like like in that episode where the princess is like super concerned that maybe she just like took things a little too far and like d blew everything up. You know, like stuff like that feels authentic because like who hasn't like sent an email and then been like, Oh crap, maybe I shouldn't have done that. They're going to think I'm an idiot or whatever. Right. Like there's something very authentic about that and being able to sort of enjoy it too. Like, Oh, it's going to be fine. Clearly, you know that. So you can kind of laugh at it a little bit, but the humor is necessary, right? Like um, when people are sad, you know, part of the way people deal with difficult things sometimes is laughter. And so the tonal changes are very appropriate, both from a storytelling perspective, but also to portray these characters, they need to have changes in how they're feeling because they're not going to feel the same way the entire way through. Right. Like the, the mother writing the letters to her daughter is like, it's sad in places, but it's hopeful too, right? Like the mom knows that she's doing something that's going to make her daughter happy. And she's kind of proud of what she's doing. And so you can't, you have to kind of have that element in there as part of the contrast to the sadness because storytelling, but also because their characters, they, they're acting like people. And I love it, honestly. <laughs> Uh, Bama, how about you? How did you feel about the different tonal changes throughout the series? Did you feel similarly to Brandon, or did you have a different opinion? Nope, that's pretty much dead on. 
you salt a watermelon to make it taste sweeter. That's why you do it is because salt and sweet bring each other out. Hmm. And to use a different uh, example, the funniest thing I think in the entire series was when the, the, the little doll in training asks Violet, can't you smile? And Violet just <laughs> pushes her cheeks yeah. together and she's trying <laughs> to squish her little face to make herself smile. And then, you know, in the next episode, you realize that this other doll's brother is, you know, a raging alcoholic addict, managed to get himself beaten up on the rag. And, and the only thing this doll wants to say to him is, I'm so glad you're alive. And Violet manages to do that. It's somehow sadder and more poignant that those words are s selected by someone who was squishing her face so she could smile over it. Nothing like a little face squishing. Like you, you talk about, <laughs> you talk about that scene with the, the you know, like. I'm just happy you're alive. And like, this is just the show is like, I'm sitting here getting like a little bit weepy, just thinking about like how significant just trying to say that was to that character. You know, that was such a meaningful thing for her to try to say to him that she was having genuine trouble saying, like I was, I was describing this show to my wife and she was like, you know, one of the first things they tell you about writing like dialogue is, Whatever, if you're, you're having trouble, you know, trying to figure out what it is that the character would say, figure out what they're trying to say, and then don't say that because people don't do that. People are really bad at saying what they want to say or saying what they mean, or in some instances, saying what they don't understand they're trying to say. People are terrible at okay. it. And like, there's something so authentic about that aspect of like people struggling to say these things that is just so, I don't know. There's like a beauty to the, how uh, to that struggle of trying to convey yourself. That, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> That's one of those things in the early episodes that came across a little odd to me and I'm trying to figure out how much of it might be cultural or not because yeah. a lot of what they're they're talking about is uh, you know fi finding the words behind what they're actually saying but this from Luculia to her brother was literally she was expressing the emotion. She could express them in secret to Violet. It seems a little bit hard that they can, you know, they're without their parents anymore. Uh, it, it's a little hard to see her not simply being able to, you know, to express that simple a thing to her brother and that immediately being able to... Uh, apparently repair all of the <laughs> all of the damage here yeah uh so yeah. i'm like uh, as well that was the end of the uh third episode where she went to the training school and that's another thing where everyone is literally she wrote the one sentence that was literally what luculia said <laughs> to her mm -hmm. she wasn't 
conveying it. She wasn't exploring or conveying a thing. She just wrote one of the things Lucullia said, determining that it was the most important one, and that's fine. But it felt almost like an overreaction from some of the characters that, oh my god, you you did this thing, and uh, now you can uh, be a true doll. And I'm like, I feel like it needed a little more <laughs> in that scene to connect me to what, what how they were reacting didn't quite line up with uh, with what she did there as meaningful as it was it uh, uh, that's what led me down the the path of maybe there's something very specific from the Japanese outlook that I'm not grasping here so. Uh, could be certainly. Uh, that that does lead into another thing that was odd. I definitely liked, you know, the the Princess Charlotte episode, but you end episode three with Violet being able to express a single thing to to grasp the very beginning of uh, of automatic dollhood. Uh, then she goes with Iris to effectively be her uh, hands to Iris's hometown. So she was just going to be transcribing while Iris would be doing the uh, the doll work. And then all she really does there is, again, type out things explicitly, party invitations and other stuff. So we don't get another episode of seeing Violet learn something except you know, Iris's particular feelings of uh, uh, rejection and, and confliction with uh, the her beau from back home and the leaving home and her struggles to become a, a proper doll. Uh, and then in the very next episode, it, it's a mention that months have passed but we get Violet immediately into being able to write poetry. And I'm, I feel like there needed to be more here. As slow-paced as some things go, I feel like they could have taken from the back end and added more on the front end here. And in, in this specific case, I know some of it comes from uh, the, the story The Princess and the Auto-Memory Doll is from the third novel, which is a side story. So it's it's a side story after we've gotten, you know, the meat of Violet's narrative. So I know it's out of place. It struck me as an odd uh, decision to put all of this in the order that they chose for the anime. So I'm, I, I don't quite click with three, four, five as well because it it feels like I'm missing too much that would have been meaningful to convey so yeah I I largely agree with that I I think I was able to maybe put that part aside better um I didn't have as much of trouble putting that aside it's maybe a better way to put that um but I, I very much was like wait so you wrote that one letter and then the teacher's pet went to the teacher and was like, actually, she's friggin' awesome. And the teacher's like, you know what? You're right. She is awesome. Let's give her this, let's give her this super prestigious uh, thing that like 
people lust after that it's it's like going to hollywood to try and make it you know and we're just going to give it to her because she wrote such a good letter that was one sentence long it's like uh, yeah that's, that's a little bit weird and then yeah you're right it's like then she does nothing and then she i don't know saves the world or something like <laughs> she she's on she goes to do a letter that is super politically significant right not just one several like their their entire like alliance relies on her ability to be romantic when she doesn't understand i love you and it's like hmm that doesn't seem to track well but you know something it's kind of cute so i was like all right i'll go along with it but yeah that's it's a common it's a common problem i feel like in the show is that things just like are not it's not explained how somebody got to a certain point in the background or why things have suddenly changed like you know the other auto memory dolls seem kind of important until they're just not for like four or five episodes they just kind of disappear and it's like what have they been doing in the background while violet has become like you know this world famous auto memory doll they just like chilling back at home like do do they go and do stuff that's never explained so so another thing that i wanted to bring up about this series before we got too far away and towards the ending is the soundtrack for this series because on a previous podcast that ct and i did i talked about the soundtrack for this series done by evan call and i called the composer as probably one of the most one of the best up-and-coming anime soundtrack composers specifically because of this series and the gorgeous music that he attached to it i'm curious uh bama let's go ahead let's start with you uh did the music stand out to you at all did it have any kind of emotional effect on you as you were watching Oh dear, I, I am embarrassed to state that I did not notice at all. Oh, okay. I am really sorry, Mr. Composer. The <clears throat> good news is that is the second best any composer can help for. Mm. Um if you're going to if you're making background music like this and it blends that seamlessly in to where the audience doesn't even know it. That's the second best you can hope for. The best you can hope for, of course, is, you know, one of those legendary soundtracks like Jurassic Park, where mm. half the point of the movie is to listen to the music. <laughs> Dino's John No, I am ashamed to say I, the only thing I noticed, the only time I ever noticed the music was three episodes in when they suddenly started doing uh, intro and exit songs. They did an exit song, and I was like, they're singing. What's going on with the singing? <laughs> and, and that's when I realized that we hadn't had any intro or exit music up until then. And I said, oh, well, I, I guess I just didn't notice that. So, you know, maybe I'm just oblivious. That works, too. Yeah, no worries. Did anybody else notice the soundtrack, or am I alone on this? I, 
I actually didn't notice it much. Like there was definitely points where I was like, huh, this is nice, you know, but I, I think it's kind of, I'm kind of in a similar boat in the idea that like, to an extent, I think I didn't notice it because it fit so well. Um, because I, I would be willing to bet like the, the times that I did notice it was just in like a quiet moment. The music was doing a lot of the heavy lifting, honestly. Um, and it really helped deliver certain scenes. And I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if I listened to some of that music out of context and it made me think of the episodes, you know, um, just guessing based on my previous reactions to music like that is usually it's in my brain somewhere and I just can't recall it directly. But if I heard it, it would evoke certain uh, emotional reactions. So. Uh, certainly I enjoyed the soundtrack a lot. I've obviously uh, delved in and out of the Violet Evergarden world a lot in the past, you know, three years. So uh, a lot of it does just blend meaningfully, which is good. I did listen to the soundtrack once uh, before we did the recording. It was in the middle of, you know, note taking and other stuff. Uh, and there are ones on there that I'm like, you know what, I, I not sure I really processed this before, and it's probably because it backed up the uh, emotions of the scene, and I was uh, con uh, concentrating on that, but there are certain ones that, uh, like we've spoken about before, especially with the Space Brothers soundtrack, that are just utterly uh, cheating tracks that take you to uh, particular heights, I don't think I soar quite as far with the tracks here, but there are ones that just uh, uh, strike me. What, what's that uh, thing that uh, the a frisson where you uh, just feel kind of an enjoyment shiver when something comes up? So particular tracks like uh, the voice in my heart, which we uh, hear a lot and has a, a great lead oboe, and I love me some oboe. Uh, torment <laughs> later. There, there are certain ones in here that we that we hear more often and at key times that you know dig their claws in fairly deep with me. Uh, I forgot. I I kind of meant to at some point seek out more of Evan's uh, anime soundtracks because I know he's been tapped on more things, but they aren't ones that I specifically recall being, you know, I, I watched Aparayranman. I don't recall his soundtrack being, you know, a, a standout from it. Uh, Hakame, Tomikochi, things like that. I feel like I need to grab a few soundtracks and and see whether or not it's something is is it still building or was Violet Evergarden a particular kind of uh, inspiration that uh, that j stands on its own more than uh, the other works? Big Order was not a big soundtrack anime for me. <laughs> so obviously you're very affected by it. Uh, do you have particular tracks that are stand out for you that uh, at the very least if you 
mention them, bring them up, uh, uh, some of the audience could pursue if they want? I don't recall the titles of the tracks themselves. I'd have to have the soundtrack in front of me, right. and I just don't at the moment. Um, but I just remember the first episode, uh, I have a note just saying, you know, this is such a great soundtrack. <laughs> and I actually repeated that a couple of times throughout the note throughout my note taking just randomly i typed out the phrase this is such a great soundtrack i am loving this music but i didn't take specific notes beyond that Mm. so yeah so i mean i just i remember the music being a strong presence for me and it's just like i mentioned on our previous podcast i think evan call is going to go on to do a lot more great things he hasn't done a lot of great ones so far uh a violet evergarden is his most high profile soundtrack i think so far but i still stand by my opinion that he's going to go on to do some great stuff sure He's got plenty of time. I, I do believe he's a, uh, you know, he's got, uh, he's got uh, a youth going for him. And, uh, and uh, obviously he's on call for a lot of people. So, lol, get it? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, the last few episodes feel like they kind of like betray the rest of the series. Because the series is like, oh, this is, you know, what her life is now and how she's, this is the method of her coping with stuff. And for some reason, the show was like, you know what would be really good for her coping? Let's put her back in wartime situations where she has to fight and have her have to interact in a friendly manner of some kind with her abuser. That sounds like a great way of really driving home how much how well she's adjusted and it's like (laughs) i feel like that's not really that no and then and then especially yeah like the very last shot of the series is i think supposed to be like uh uh but is it major gilbert that she's going to go see that caught her off guard oh but it seems like they're like playing with it and i'm just kind of like are you you gonna try and pretend that like oh she went through this meaningful uh change and like trying to deal with her trauma and the trauma the 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 focal point of her trauma is actually still alive and so yeah like I just don't know what the hell was going on with those last few episodes. I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, CT, you wanted to jump in? Yeah. Uh, we'll, We'll go back to the episodes in a moment, but I was curious to see whether or not uh, anyone would have the same reaction that I did at the very final moment there. Uh, where, you know, you get a lot of the normal wrap-up, but uh, as you say, she was called out uh, and then goes to a cottage and shows an expression of surprise, and yes, you're left to say, okay, what could that surprise 
possibly yeah. mean. It's literally the final seconds of this show. So I guess for for all of you, then there are two things. Uh, one, as a question, do you think the major is alive? And then as a follow up, do you want the major to be alive? And uh, we'll we'll push over to Bama since I think we we got mostly from uh, from you already on on that, Brandon. But uh... yeah, I had a, a different interpretation of the last few episodes. Hmm. I kind of saw it closer to she was a soldier and she she had a lot of trauma and she really struggled to get past that and to grow and to become emotionally mature enough to handle her past and then they're throwing her back into it and it almost felt like okay how are we going to see her react differently this time now that she's not practically an automaton yeah you know, is she? I, I think that's what they were going for. You know, whether you enjoyed it or not is is certainly yeah. <laughs> up to you. But I think that's what they were going for. It, it it didn't. I still think it would have been perfect if they'd ended it, but it didn't bother me that they went on. Yeah. Um, as far as the major being alive goes, I am never going to forgive myself. I saw a a Google, um one of those recommended for you stories that had Violet Evergarden. And of course, uh, it, like I said, I've been salivating and stroking the, the TV screen. So <laughs> I jumped right on it and it spoiled it almost immediately. I think in the movie, the major is alive and I'm not overly happy about that, but I, 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 I haven't seen the movie yet. I gotta see this movie. Okay. <laughs> And you, I have seen the movie, but you may have just possibly spoiled something for LB. So I was going to pass that over to you as well. Uh, LB was what your what your interpretation of that last scene was, and then uh, re regarding the major in general, because you saw the other uh, movie, right? Uh, no, I haven't seen anything past the TV series yet. Oh, interesting. Okay. No, I'm so sorry, Elby. <laughs> you should be. How dare you? A thousand lashes. Give it to Google, man. I'm in. I'm in your shoes now. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, for me, I was pretty convinced that the major was dead. I. That's just what I was going by from what I saw from everybody else. Uh, I didn't feel any particular reason to think that he was still alive other than it just would have been a neat little twist um but yeah no i was pretty convinced that he was dead um in terms of what the little surprise was in the last moments of the series i don't know there are a million different possibilities for what could have made her act with that level of surprise uh but I couldn't narrow it down to a single guess or even multiple guesses on what it actually is. Maybe it was Leon called her over. 
but yeah, that that's that's what put my thought about the the possibility that the major was alive in in my brain. But at the same time, I don't feel like if she was being called there, anyone at the uh, at the company would have reacted like they did, and her reaction would have been different than what there was. So I'm like, okay, it's it's something. It's just a little weird to throw that in, you know, five seconds before the entire end of the show. Because you're you're nudging us in a direction and I don't know what it means. So but uh I I agree oh uh sorry before before I move on uh Bama you wanted to uh respond to that i just want yep i just wanted to say that my head cannon is a little gasp of surprise was um a group of her friends headed by uh, mrs evergarden because she I, was awesome and i wanted to yeah. see more of her definitely true that that's one thing that i feel like that that i really want to get the novels for because you get very little of the Evergardens and how they're related to to the uh, Borgenvillea, uh, why she was being adopted as a favor instead of the Borgenvillea family itself. Uh, we don't get much of her, so we don't over the course of it, and Violet doesn't have really an attachment to it except thanks for the surname. My name is Violet Skywalker. At least she didn't claim it at the end of the movie. Um, <clears throat> where we also seem to be missing big chunks of uh, other things that were conveyed as to, you know, we see very short scenes in the anime of what happened when uh, Dietfried discovered violent, uh, Violet she was very violent what she did to his crew and uh entirely basically uh screwed him against her the whole time uh there there was a scene with hodgins that was witnessing her in kind of an arena sort of thing and there, there's a lot there feels like there's a lot more going on that the anime did not want to uh to point us at uh so i'm I'm wondering how much of it was skipped for a purpose of being a little bit lighter, perhaps, or at least not delving quite as deep, but it, it feels like we missed connections to uh, some like the Evergarden family as well. It's literally in the title, but <laughs> we, we don't know much about it other than it's now her surname. Did anyone else have any other thoughts, any other comments that they wanted to share about any of the episodes that we haven't talked about so far? Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, this is more just like a shout out to uh, Benedict's awesome stilettos. Um, <laughs> I fr he's wearing oh, the yes. highest heels in the entire show and I freaking love it that is true. <laughs> I love his whole I, I just like love him he's freaking awesome he's like hardly in the show but damn if he's not great he, he is very styling I do wish we had a little bit more of Benedict and uh, yeah Catalea and Claudia 
doing more because when we that's some of the tonal shift talking about before we get scenes of them kind of being catty with each other and uh familiar with each other and we get that embarrassing letter that they're reading of uh uh claudia's at the end which uh felt meaningful enough it was interesting but i feel again like we didn't have quite as much of their camaraderie uh, uh yeah. to really wrap around to the the earnestness of of uh Podgens there right at the end i want to know where benedict uh learned how to like flying kick a bomb off of a bridge (laughs) where like every other soldier in this is just a normal soldier except for violet and then he's just like comes out of there like i'm just gonna drop kick this thing like it's nothing right what's it just loosely hung there while violets was the only one that was like steel wrapped bolted to the side of the bridge but yeah, that's just another one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, it's mentioned he's in the mi- he was in the military, but like then he just goes and does that, and <laughs> I'm just like, can we like set the things up a little bit before we just like, oh, anime moment. It was a little hard to follow the uh, logistics of that whole scene with them jumping off the moving train and yeah, going after the bombs and then. He jump kicks down and is like three stories down a, a train yep. curve and Violet and, falls and he catches her. And I'm like, hey, wait, how did you get there? And you were on yes. the other side, weren't you? Freaking I don't Ninja know. Warrior. <laughs> it's Ninja Warrior, right? He does like a flying kick and hits it hard enough to unseat it and send it flying into the into the water and still manages to grab like that <laughs> one inch of metal so he doesn't go flying into the ocean into the water himself and yeah it must have just like ninja warrior <laughs> the rest of the way around to her kind of like who cares at the end we're we're pretty much oh, done absolutely. now so yeah who, i who think cares? so i think so <laughs> i don't care it's fun so that's where we start getting i i do agree with with bama that I appreciated elements of Violet being forced back into the situation where, first of all, we could get a bit of badassness from her. I liked episode 11 a lot, where she uh, goes to basically Camp Menace. I love all of these names. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Menace and Intense and uh, (laughs) all of that stuff. But uh, she effectively comes upon the wreckage of them and uh, uh you know is is basically with that soldier as he's dying and it's a reflection of what she went through before i feel like we would have been better off if her interaction with uh Dietrich, which was important enough for her to prove to him that uh uh, you know, I I don't need orders, but you know, I will act in the interest of the people that I that I care about. So some of it, her final lines to him are meaningful, but I feel like it should have been another personal scale thing. Maybe yeah. only one episode after number eleven, and not kind of this. It felt like an overbaked action set piece plot yeah i don't know if it was in the uh the novels or was an anime specific thing but that that's where i i feel like we wanted some meat of uh her 
back in action at the end. It just feels like it was the wrong kind of of doing it, Thro- throwing a train heist two-parter <laughs> at the end of this feels a little weird. Yeah. They could have shuffled something earlier to bridge the gaps and had this be a bit of a, a brutal but meaningful thing, which started with that soldier's story, but she was in the middle of... Uh, she was in the middle of it by the end, uh, so they could have played something further that uh, that made yeah. sense and not done the train thing. So, all right, uh, Brendan, you what you said you wanted to bring up another point? Oh yeah, it was just the um, the actiony bits aren't even like didn't necessarily bother me. It just felt like it was trying to confirm for us what i think we kind of should have known by that point like it kind of was trying to show you like in episode nine or whatever her growing and becoming comfortable with certain things and then it kind of felt like oh but is that really true let's put it to the test it's like it felt like the show was kind of trusting the audience with some stuff throughout the show and then at the end just kind of chucked it into the ocean to like be like oh let's challenge this and challenge that and how we how she handles you know fighting people now and all that kind of stuff in a way that was just like it just didn't feel good it wasn't that i was against the action because you know other other parts of action in the show the few times that it appeared like i thought it was cool i i enjoyed the actioniness of it and her getting to be a badass in like those flashbacks but having it like as almost like a test at the end felt a little i don't know didn't feel great you know um and then just because it made me then think of like almost in the same way like i i have nothing against the major being alive so much as the way it was kind of treated you know like i'm okay with the major being alive i'm not okay with the like wink nudge we've been telling you he's dead the entire time <laughs> you know it's like come on like yeah either do or don't don't like play this weird freaking game <laughs> like have have enough bravery to just be like he's alive and we're going to do something with it because like i think at that point you have to do something with it you can't just be like oh th- this whole show has been about her coming to terms with his death and the things that he meant to her and then just be like oh and he's back and we're gonna do jack all with that like mm, no you know it's it's more of that like the context around the things like i like the idea like i'm okay with the idea of him still being alive and I don't know, whatever that relationship is supposed to be, which is a little unsettlingly unclear in some ways. But I don't know. I I, I would have, like, I think it's perfect fodder for, like, AO3 or something. So, like, I, I got nothing against it. I think it's fun in its own way. I just respect it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll interject since the cat's out of the bag that what happens with the major is not associated with the end. And it, in this case, we've only watched, uh, you know, the 13 episodes of the TV show as part of this. So uh, this will be covered in the final movie. And obviously that will be, you know, 
the big thing about the final movie. So uh, I'm I'm a little bit curious. I know Bama wants to continue through, uh, and I know LB has been meaning to. Uh, is this something that you would be interested in at least adding a coda to this cast in the future if we get to a point where all of us have watched the rest? Do we want to do a follow-up to be completionist about uh, Violet Evergarden? I am a completionist. Very badly. (laughs) Uh, For folks who don't know this, I... Uh, occasionally write guides for video games explicitly because i'm that type of person <laughs> so i love being <laughs> um so i'm totally down for that and actually i feel way more compelled to watch the movie now because i feel like i need that the whole major is maybe a live thing justified to me and like so now i feel extra compelled to watch the movie that'll be interesting we can probably fit that in with uh with other stuff but, yeah uh, totally uh mama do you have any uh anything else that you want to do mention regarding the series i just wanted to say that i'm definitely watching the movie and i'll be perfectly happy to talk about it with y'all okay excellent that's good what uh, what about you lb Oh, I'd be totally down for watching the movies and talking uh, about it all with you guys. I I heartily agree, but in this case, I meant uh, final thoughts about. Oh. <laughs> well, you the TV clear. series. That is true. Uh, I I think we've covered pretty much everything that I wanted to hit on. Um, just there. The only other thing that I want to mention is that there are, while I love the writing of anime and I love how powerful and it can make me feel when with my emotions, uh, it's very rare that an anime has actual lines of dialogue that stick out to me and will continue to stick out to me for weeks or months afterward and with violet evergarden it's going back to episode let me double check real fast because i want to make sure i get this right yeah it's episode nine where she's standing in front of the president and asking, do I have any right to be a doll? Do I have any right to live? And he loses it. And I have to admit that I lost it at that moment as well. And that's a line that is going to stick with me for a long time to come. Mostly because this series ended up being kind of a perfect thing to watch at the moment because I'm going through kind of a weird adjustment period with my life um and that made and it made me actually kind of reflect on myself of you know the the adjustment period I'm going through kind of deals with my career I won't go into a whole lot of details but basically it was that moment where I had introspection of thinking you know do I have any right 
to be to have my job do i have any right to keep going with it and that like i said it hit me really hard because that just hit at the exact right moment and in the exact right way so i really have to give kudos to this series for having some just powerful little moments of dialogue not even monologues but just little lines that are going to stick with me for you know a long time to come and as i recall that led directly into the uh the line of hodgins that uh brandon quoted earlier yeah exactly so very very much linked very very powerful indeed uh I guess I will just leave with one lightened piece of amusement for me that uh, is very inside baseball. Uh, the uh, uh, I, as I gather, I'm the only subtitler again this round because yeah. uh, Brandon mentioned uh, the the voice actress in in persona, and that's uh, the English dubbed one. So uh, the the voice actress of Violet is in another extremely, you know, main character in an extremely popular series called Attack on Titan. She is Mikasa, who I find an amusing parallel because Mikasa is an unmitigated, you know, powerfully dangerous uh, entity, but, uh, you know, very emotive and evocative. Uh, but right in episode one, uh, as they're leaving the hospital and Hodgins mentions something about orders, she repeats the word orders, and it sounds very much like she's saying Eren. I don't know what the actual word is, but Eren is the main character from Attack on Titan, and she is, it's literally memed to death that all she does for half her dialogue on that show is shout his name over and over again. So the fact that I heard her voice actress say a word that was exceedingly like that in this context and would be occasionally repeated because orders comes up uh, tickled me throughout as a weird little uh, bit of meta humor. So I figured I'd share that. <laughs> So, all right, let's go ahead. Let's wrap things up on that note. I think we've got a pretty good dis- rounded discussion going. Uh, I'd like to thank CT, Brandon, and Bama for joining me for another fun discussion. We always really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Uh, and thank you to all of you for listening to us. Just remember that we'll be back again next month. We have decided on the next series, but I think we're going to leave that as a little teaser. Uh, and I'll make the announcement on Twitter uh, in the next couple of weeks. But other than that, have a great night, everybody. And we'll talk to you all again soon. Good night, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye.